today provide you with in-depth news and expert analysis, tell you the whole story and the bigger picture, bring you the news you want to know only on today. China cuts market access barriers nationwide. Dozens killed as gunmen stormed a government building in Kabul, Afghanistan. Israel's political arena in uproar after snap elections announced, and China is calling on the U.S. to explain why its embassies purchase spying devices. You're listening to today a news program with a different perspective. I'm Sui. Coming up, we have an hour of world news and analysis. To hear this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching for World News Analysis. A shorter nationwide negative list for market access has been rolled out in China. The latest version of the negative list consists of 151 items and 581 specific rules. This is down by 177 items and 288 specific rules compared with the previous version. The negative list approach is set to create a more equal playing field. Any item or rule not found on a negative list means it's a section of the economy which is open for investment. For more about this latest move by the Chinese government to further open up its market, Ding Heng earlier talked with Liu Baocheng, associate professor at the Business School of the University of International Business and Economics, and Mike Bastian, senior lecturer at Southampton Southern University and visiting professor at the University of International Business and Economics. Baocheng, let me start with you.、Um, China began to pilot the negative list approach in in the year 2016 in four provincial regions, and then one year later, the, this approach expanded to another 11 provincial regions. So, so now, do you think it is a good idea to begin adopting this approach on a, on a nationwide scale? I would think so because、uh, after 40 years of、uh, domestic reform and open door policy, China has. Really gathered the competence to uh, uh, to uh, face more of the challenges for、uh, international competition, and、uh, the fact also the、uh, the open door、uh, ushered in the、uh, participation of the global business community really pushed China forward. Yes, there is a a sort of discomfort、uh, that caused temporarily. Just as 40 years ago, when we opened the door for foreign participation, the、uh, we went through that and we achieved quite a,、uh, a lot.、Mm-hmm. So、uh, the inertia needs to be dismantled, given the past experience and given the、uh, China's competence.、Mm-hmm. So, Mike, to what to what extent would you agree with、um, Baochun here? I think I agree entirely. The I think the issue is is. Yeah, well, there's several issues here. One is is、uh, Chinese industry ready,、uh, ready to be sort of opened up and 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 exposed to more foreign direct investment across more industries. And I think the answer there unequivocally is yes. I think they're more than ready.、Um, and the second issue is yeah, it's it's foreign investment. To, to foreign investors have this confidence going forward in uh, Chinese uh, the China reform. Program and I think again unequivocally the answer is yes there and then perhaps thirdly Chinese industry now I think is a, a real sort of thirst for international expansion. My research over, over the last few years、um, indicates very strongly there's a very change changing mentality now. The typical Chinese company and then the senior management and leaders are very very comfortable with international expansion and international cooperation. So I think it's a, a, a very good move forward. So, so Mike, as we look at this latest negative list that was unveiled today, it seems、um, it it still has hefty investment restrictions in terms of the financial sector and some internet-based、yeah. industries and technologies. Why do you think this is the case? I think the the, the Chinese government are rightly quite cautious when it comes to first of all the financial system and, and the financial services generally. Opening that up too quickly, too soon, I, I think could cause、uh, problems. There could be a flood of investment.、Um, so I, I think that they they will open up.、Um, there's no doubt about that. But I think the government are quite rightly being a little bit more cautious. These are special industries, and we can't tinker with them or tamper with them too much, too soon. And, and with the internet, I think that's probably part of the government's push to.、Um, Digitalize the economy to invest in、um, internet 
technologies um, and, and companies and brands. So, so again, I think that that makes sense to be a little bit cautious in those areas. Hmm. So, Bao Chen, uh, industries like manufacturing, uh, transportation, postal services, sports, as well as entertainment, these these sectors, as we look at this latest negative list, it seems that these sectors are still not fully open. What do you think are the concerns of the Chinese government? Well, I think the uh, we have been following the past experience. China has uh, opened its door, mm. and uh, also the... Uh, uh, the uh, domestic reform through a very gradual process, and uh, the lab approach has been uh, very successful so that we are able to keep uh, everything under control. But I, I, I slightly disagree with um, uh, my mm. friend is that uh, uh, we are getting a little more overcautious because right now, uh, the you know, over the 40 years of the experience gathered, and also with the stronger competence and also with the enlarged vision of the Chinese business leaders, we could have really uh, opened further uh, mm-hmm. because uh, the uh, in, by inviting competition, it turned out to be a uh, cooperation, uh, a cooperation and competition. Mm-hmm. So we can really grow stronger by you know the uh, pushing uh, the uh, twisting arms with uh, global competition. Mm. So, Bao Chen, uh, you said uh, China could actually open pretty faster compared to the current pace. On China's National Development and Reform Commission, that's China's top economic planning uh, government agency, uh, that commission is now vowing that for, for industries which are not in this negative list, discriminatory limits against private investors is absolutely not allowed, should be totally banned. In practice, let's let's be frank, is that possible? I think that is uh, a possible uh, because mm. uh, the private enterprises, both domestic and foreign, they are also contributing to the tax revenue of the government. They are uh, also the, uh, participating in the uh, major sectors of uh, productivity. So why not? The, uh, and also this is a basic notion of uh, uh, the uh, WTO for national treatment. So, uh, therefore, uh, the, the fact that the global uh, complaint over uh, the China, uh, uh, the 15 years of transition, we have really uh, not been moving uh, as fast as expected. So there has been some entrenched interest groups that are really blocking the road. They scare the government. They scare uh, the, the public that, well, otherwise, you know, we are going to have uh, a turmoil. So that's not the case. Mm. So, Mike, how do you think private investors can be treated as uh, in the same way or in a similar way? Uh, they kind of play play this game in a in a level playing field uh, as compared to their state-owned uh, counterparts. I I think they can. I think it's 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 about transparency and it's about mm. maybe a couple of. Um, yeah, role models, a couple of examples where the government can publicize perhaps more heavily, more promote the fact that there is greater transparency in a level playing field now and private versus public is not, it uh, doesn't quite have the imbalance that it had before. Uh, and also promote the, the, the benefits, long-term benefits to the economy. Obviously, as economies develop and mature and become market economies, the private sector plays an increasingly you know, very, very important role and, and the public sector uh, recedes. I will say, though, I, I still stand by the fact that, that the financial services industry does need to be treated very, very carefully. The liberalization and marketization of this indus- these industries in the West was far too quick you know, in the 70s and the 80s. And the UK government in particular will look back, uh, and that has contributed to, to major problems. So uh, I think that the government is right to, to, to keep you know, firm hands on the steering wheel where these industries are concerned. Mm, so, Bao Chen, in the first 11 months of 2018, private investments in China rose by um, 8.7% compared to the same period last year. Seems like the official figure here is pretty good. But uh, what, is, what does the real picture look like uh, based on your own observation in terms of uh, business confidence in the private sector? In terms of PMI, uh, it is still above the benchmark line, uh, but uh, we are marginally above the uh, benchmark line. The mm-hmm. the, the uh, business community always say, oh, this is really a cold year uh, for investment. 
Uh, one reason is that uh, they are being forced to uh, upgrade their uh, industrial structure, uh, particularly with the uh, very tough environmental standard introduced. So those uh, uh, polluting industries are facing a far tougher challenge. And uh, on the other, uh, when uh, the technology is coming to uh, visit uh, many of those uh, uh, sectors, and some of those leggers are facing also the challenges for transfer formation if they are not ready with the human talent and also with the technical competence. But otherwise, uh, when the basic economic fundamentals are there, you know, uh, you know, we are going to achieve uh, more than 6.5%. So uh, it is really uh, stable enough, and the confidence is still there. But uh, the uh, some are getting more conservative, and they are looking to, uh, number one, whether the government continue to support the private enterprises, which was given uh, quite much assurance over the last months, and particularly for the, uh, from the economic conference. And uh, I think, you know, the, the confidence level will get raised with a very rational uh, judgment. Mm, indeed. So, Mike, uh, China currently has three laws to respectively mm. regulate Chinese foreign equity joint venture, non-equity cooperation, and wholly foreign-owned businesses. Why do you think China now needs a new unified law to regulate foreign in- investors? Well, I think it's to, to reassure foreign investors to, to mm. uh, promote that, that investment and to protect that investment. And again, transparency is key here. So it's to simplify, uh, to make it more transparent. And I think the foreign investment community will welcome this very, very much and find it much easier to, to navigate through what is one law simplifying, uh, simplifying three uh, often existing quite complicated laws. So, so again, I think that makes sense. And again, that's a very, very clear indication by the Chinese government that it welcomes foreign investment and that it will protect uh, as well as promote that. Foreign investment, foreign direct investment has played a major role in China over the last 40 years, China's economic development, and that needs to continue and, and increase. Mm, so, Bao how would you look at this issue of uh, unification? Yeah, we used to make a clear a distinction between foreign businesses or foreign-related businesses, and therefore we had a domestic economic law, we have uh, the uh, foreign contract law, we have joint venture law, wholly owned laws, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So now, uh, you know, we are part of the globe. It's not only open the door, we open the entire yard. I mean, we are opening the entire, the, uh, 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 you know, the sitting room for the global uh, participation and the competition. So, uh, you know, uh, particularly now when uh, the performing participation is getting so much so uh, interdependent with the uh, Chinese companies and also the Chinese basic fundamentals, uh, it is the right time that we really need to unify and streamline those laws so that we can reduce the transaction costs and bring better transparency and higher level of uh, predictability for businesses to uh, compete and work together. Mm, so, Baochun, um, this latest um, proposed new foreign investment law says no administrative powers should be used or should be resorted to to force technology transfer. So, how do you think China or Chinese authorities can make sure that when uh, foreign investor foreign investors encounter abuse of powers here in China, there are effective legal means available for them to 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 defend their rights? I think one hallmark achievement uh, uh, from China in the protection of uh, intellectual properties is that they uh, uh, have established the uh, uh, peculiar, uh, not only law system, a legal system, but also set up the uh, IP court uh, Mm -hmm. at every major uh, level of uh, uh, jurisdictions. So uh, that shows that uh, China is getting very firm um, we used to emulate the large part of the uh, global technology because they have been low-hanging fruits. But now, when we are really pushing forward for indigenous innovation, and so uh, taking a uh, shortcut uh, doesn't really serve China's interest. So therefore, uh, it, we are not only responding to global pressures for a, uh, a better protection of IP, but it also serves China's interest over 
a long term of、uh, competitiveness to have better protection of those IPs. Liu Baocheng, associate professor at the Business School of the University of International Business and Economics, and Mike Bastian, senior lecturer at Southampton Southern University. Health officials say the death toll from a terrorist attack on a government office in the Afghan capital Kabul has risen to 44. The attack occurred on Monday afternoon when a suicide bomber detonated a car bomb outside the targeted office, which provides service to family members of soldiers and ordinary people who have been killed in terrorist attacks or other battles in the country. At least two gunmen made their way inside the building after the blast, attacking the people inside before security forces arrived. Nearly 360 people were able to be saved by Afghan special forces from the building. So far, no group has claimed responsibility for the attack. Now, being with us to talk about the. Uh, situation in Afghanistan is Dr. Ho Wenping, senior research fellow of the Institute of West Asia and African Studies at the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. So, Dr. Ho, what can we tell from the, this latest major attack in Afghanistan? To what extent is terrorism still the biggest concern in that country before they can talk about peace building and reconciliation? Uh, yes, uh, this thing is a terrible tragedy. Uh, but uh, even though there is no group claim、uh, responsibility yet, but、uh, we can see, you know, after this、uh, Islamic State,、uh, those、uh, terrorist group has been defeated, has been you know chased away from、uh, Iraqi, from、uh, Syria. Then many of them regroup、uh, in Afghanistan. So that makes this Afghanistan security situation getting worse. So on the one hand, the Taliban is fighting with the Afghanistan government forces, but on the other hand, those terrorist groups, terrorist those jihadi jihadi forces, also are making those attacking. They are attacking the government building like this time around, and also kill the innocent people. So make those uh, uh, you know fighting frontier in Afghanistan becoming multiple. The United States、uh, President Trump has decided to have the number of ground troops stationed in Afghanistan. How is this going to influence、uh, the Afghan situation in the future? Yeah, this withdrawal,、uh, almost half of those American troops, I think, of,、uh, definitely will not do any good、uh, for the security and the peace building, like in Afghanistan,、uh, because that will left a very big security vacuum、uh, there. Uh, that will、uh, certainly now strengthen、uh, those kind of uh, uh, aspiration and、uh, from the Taliban because Taliban has long、uh, calling for the out of the any foreign troops. So Taliban in recent one year and a half has already conquered, I think, more than half、uh, of the territory in the Afghanistan. So make this Afghanistan government are、uh, becoming. You know, weaker than before, rather than stronger than before, because Afghanistan government has been backed and supported by the American troops. So, with the troops, American troops, you pull out from Afghanistan. You can imagine、uh, this Afghanistan government、uh, will no longer as strong as before. So, they are becoming the weak part when they are confronting with Taliban. A Taliban has been talking with the United States in the UAE. The talks are also participated by Saudi Arabia and Pakistan.、Uh, some U.S. officials say、uh, we could see a peace agreement between Taliban and the Afghan government before the general election next April.、Uh, how optimistic are you that the two sides can reach an, any sort of agreement? Yes, I think、uh, nowadays this、uh, peace talking. Things、uh, generate the good momentum.、Uh, actually, this withdrawal of the American troops is a kind of early sign of this peace negotiation moving forward. Because this is exactly one of the point, one of the key concern coming from Taliban. They ask、uh, this out of、uh, any foreign troops facing Afghanistan. So anyhow, we all know in the recent half year,、uh, United States. This Trump administration has changed its attitude. Now it's no longer saying top down the Taliban, destroy the Taliban because it couldn't. So now it changed the tactic, strategy. Now it engaged with Taliban. I、uh, even had a three times talk、uh, with Taliban uh, from uh, different places. 
So this kind of negotiation and engagement now, I think, helped uh, Taliban becoming, uh, you know, a very uh, important forces you cannot ignore. So this also will give pressure to the Afghanistan government uh, to change the tactics, to engage more with Taliban. So you cannot just ignore Taliban to make any peace possible uh, in Afghanistan. I think which is, uh, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, maybe withdrawal of the United States troops will pave some way forward for this negotiation. Now let's turn to the Afghan government. Afghan President Ashraf Ghani recently replaced his defense minister and also interior minister. Uh, do we know why he made this reshuffle now? Well, as we just discussed, Afghanistan government now is becoming weak, uh, weak and weak, uh, because they, they will gradually lose uh, these uh, American soldiers, this uh, American troops support and the backup. Uh, plus, the Taliban now is getting momentum and getting more and more those uh, territory under their control. And internationally, now they have been uh, talking directly even with the American representatives and also like engaging with other countries. So with that, of course, the Afghan, Afghanistan government, maybe uh, they, they are thinking, uh, you know, this kind of uh, losing the momentum. So they need to find some scapegoat. Uh, to, to, you know, to be criticized. Uh, I think it is the one thing maybe for sucking those, uh, reshuffle the cabinet and they want to find something alternative, uh, to trying to get back, uh, their strength. But that's not easy just for change, uh, some, uh, minister or reshuffle the government because the big picture is there. The big picture is United States no longer want to base in Afghanistan. Uh, the Trump wants to out. Uh, either Afghanistan or Syria, uh, they want just want to focus on their own interests. Uh, they want uh, somebody else to clean the act. So this big picture has changed, and the Taliban is getting bigger and bigger. So for Afghanistan government, I think there's no other choice. The only one choice that is settle down and sit down and talk, negotiate with Taliban. Mm. And we know China recently held talks with the Afghan government and also Pakistan talking about development projects and anti-terrorism and some other issues. Mm-hmm. What kind of role has China been playing in the Afghan peace process? Yeah, China has been uh, consistently uh, providing this economic cooperation uh, with the uh, Afghanistan government. And also we offered like uh, training for Afghanistan police. So both economic development, also a security cooperation, especially the economic cooperation. We all know in the recent five years, Chinese government has pursued this One Belt, One Road initiative. So Afghanistan is also, uh, you know, on the way of this uh, Belt uh, and the Road initiative. So it's very important to involve with Afghanistan to build those connectivity. So with those economic projects, that can generate jobs for the Afghanistan people. So if people there uh, can benefit from the economic development, if they can get their jobs, of course that will pave a very strong basis uh, for, you know, uh, for the country's reconciliation, for the country's economic build-up, and will make those terrorist, uh, you know, extremist groups very hard to recruit yeah, any new members in Afghanistan. So they are not getting those rooms for their survival. So if people are all, you know, better off their life. Mm. So this is the thing. Uh, if economic development, that's the basis you know, for any other, like uh, even uh, this uh, political negotiation and also anti-terror. So everything has been uh, connected together. Thank you very much, Dr. Ho, for your time this evening. We've been talking with Dr. Ho Wenping, Senior Research Fellow of the Institute of West Asia and African Studies at the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Meanwhile, China and Pakistan are calling for political reconciliation rather than military force in solving the lingering unrest in Afghanistan. The statement comes as part of the meeting between Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi and his Pakistani counterpart Shah Mohammad Qureshi in Beijing. 
The two have talked at length about the situation in Afghanistan, saying they intend to keep in close contact with one another around the situation. The Chinese and Pakistani foreign ministers have also discussed various bilateral issues. Now we're gonna take a short break here. You've been listening to today. Coming up, Israel's political arena is now in uproar after snap elections have been announced. China is demanding explanation from the United States on embassies buying spy equipment. If you want to listen to this episode again or catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching for World News Analysis. I'm Sui. Stay with us. You're listening to today. I'm Sui. Time for our daily global survey, where we、we'll、take a quick look at what's happening around the world. Join me in the studio is my colleague Zhao Ying. Thank you. First up in Asia, in Indonesia, search efforts for the 128 people still missing in the disaster zone of the deadly tsunami continues, with some officials admitting privately that the chance of finding more survivors alive was slim. Former Pakistani Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif has been sent back to jail after a fresh corruption conviction. In Oceania, Australia will introduce new surveillance technology for a crackdown on drones next year, as concerns mount over their increasing prevalence in public areas. Staying in the country, as many as 3,000 people have been evacuated after residents of a newly completed tower block in Sydney Olympic Park reportedly hearing cracking noises. Moving on to Africa, Sudanese President Omar Al Bashir has vowed to adopt economic reform measures that would provide decent living for its citizens. Ethiopia announced that it has arrested 15 individuals accused of carrying out assassinations of local government officials. Turning to the Middle East, U.S. President Donald Trump is set to visit Turkey next year at the invitation of Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan. A Dubai princess was reportedly kidnapped earlier this year during an apparent escape effort. Has been seen again in official media after a month-long absence. Looking to Europe, the region's most active volcano, Mount Etna, has erupted, with officials reporting more than 130 earthquakes of up to 4.3 in magnitude. In Italy, a two-year-old boy has died from blood loss following a failed circumcision at a migrant center. One man has been charged with murder. Looking to Latin America, the body of a seven-year-old Guatemalan girl who died earlier this month while in custody of the U.S. Border Patrol has been returned to her home country. Two Costa Rican fishermen have been rescued by a cruise ship after being stranded for 20 days at sea. Finally, in North America, the governor of Mexico's central Puebla state, Martha Erica Alonso, has died in a helicopter crash just days after being sworn into office. U.S. President Donald Trump has blasted the Federal Reserve, describing it as the only problem for the U.S. economy. Thanks, Zhao Ying. That winds up today's global survey. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's government has announced the country will hold early elections on April the ninth. The decision comes after the ruling coalition appeared to fail to get votes needed to pass a contentious piece of court order legislation. Netanyahu said they've successfully dealt with security matters, which had prevented them from disbanding the government and holding a new election in November. I couldn't reveal then what we did a couple of weeks later, which is to、uh, <coughs> start the、uh, this big operation to neutralize、uh, completely. The uh, tunnel, uh, terror tunnels of Hezbollah. That's what we've done since, and it's it's a pretty good reason. You want to get that done, <laughs> and you know, for Hezbollah, what have they said in the meantime? Have they said anything? Don't you think that's uncharacteristically silent? I mean, they must be thinking, what are they doing? Well, we know what we were doing. It was right not to go to elections then, and I think it's perfectly sensible to go to elections now with a complete agreement, by the way, of all the partners, complete unanimity. And a great partnership for Israel. 
The downfall of Netanyahu's government appears to have been triggered by his coalition's failure to resolve a dispute over a new law extending the military draft to ultra-orthodox men. Netanyahu's ultra-orthodox partners are demanding the legislation be weakened, and his parliamentary majority made such a compromise impossible. Professor Reuven Hazan from the Department of Political Sciences at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem says the election will be a battle within the right wing in Israel. The next elections in Israel, which now are likely to be in early April, are basically going to be a battle within the right wing in Israel. In other words, how far ahead Netanyahu's Likud party will come out and how much power he will have in the next multi-party coalition government. The left wing in Israel, unlike in the rest of the world, is not a socio-economic left wing. The number one issue in Israeli politics is security, and the left over the last decade or two has hitched its platform much more to a land for peace security formula, which today with Hamas and Hezbollah and so forth is not a platform that can win a lot of votes in Israel. If Netanyahu wins the election, he would become the longest-serving Israeli leader. However, a cloud still hangs over his future with indictment over mounting corruption charges. Now being with us to talk about the political situation in Israel is Dr. Wang Jin, research fellow of the Syria Research Center of Northwest University in Xi'an. So Dr. Wang, could you first tell us more about what triggered this political turbulence in Israel? Why did the coalition parties decide to dissolve the parliament and go for new elections? Uh, well, it's my pleasure. Uh, there still were two, uh, two issues that, uh, for the, the coalition government of the, led by the, uh, the, the, the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu or called by uh, Israelis as Bibi for short, uh, the, the very nickname Bibi, uh, is that on the one hand, the national uh, nationality law, I mean, the, we, we have, which has already passed in uh, July, that uh, will strengthen the highlight is the, the Jewish uh, attachment inside the state. Well, on the other hand, it's this kind of the drafting view, because they hope to uh, draft and uh, recruit more and more uh, the soldiers from the Haredi, or uh, in, in English it means that uh, from the Austro-Orthodox uh, Jewish communities. Because for, this, uh, for the Israeli state, uh, the issue of the Haredi problem, I mean, I mean the, the issue of the Austro-Orthodox uh, Jewish community problem is very, very sensitive. Um, uh, many years ago, I mean, when the last uh, coalition uh, government led, also led by Benjamin Netanyahu, but uh, uh, four years ago, uh, at that time, uh, there, were, there were some efforts, I mean, made by some of the parties in the government that they tried to uh, just pass a kind of new law. Uh, at that time, it was a new law that they want to draft the, the Haiti members into the Israeli uh, IDF, I mean, Israeli Defense Forces, and they want them to contribute more to this country because for Israel, uh, recruiting into the IDF is very, very uh, beginning, a very, very important step that to mean that to kind of inclusion into the state. But, uh, but for the Haiti community, their, uh, their priority is to, uh, is to isolate themselves from the, the whole society, is to trying to keep their own kind of religious attachment uh, uh, intact. So that is why this kind of thing is very sensitive, especially given, right, given the political landscape right now is that the, the government or the cabinet led by Benjamin Netanyahu is only very, very fragile majority in the Knesset or in the Israeli parliament. So when this kind of uh, sensitive issue emerged, it is very easy to lead to the class of this kind of government and the lead to the early election next year. So now there will be an early election. How does the political future look like for Netanyahu's Likud coalition in the next election? Are there any parties or figures that could challenge Likud or Netanyahu? Uh, the first thing is that whether Netanyahu, uh, I mean, the, 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 uh, the kind of the corruption uh, investigation against him will... Uh, work. I mean, uh, before this kind of uh, the, the election started next year, we know that still 
this first uh, the investigation has already been uh, for, for for one year or maybe two years now. Uh, but they're still on the process of the Israeli uh, police investigation, not into the Attorney General Office, not yet. So it means that uh, we have to wait for the result. I mean, if this kind of investigation is true, then Netanyahu's political life will be end. So once that Netanyahu will survive this kind of investigation or the investigation uh, is still on its process uh, if, uh, when the election started, I think that Netanyahu or Bibi will face two uh, different kinds of uh, the computation. On the one hand, inside the Likud, his party, the Likud party uh, inside himself, because there were a lot of the opposition leaders as uh, as inside the other uh, the political uh, parties that they wanted to challenge him. And they believe that Bibi is too strong or Bibi is too weak. And so that is his first uh, kind of challenge from his own party. And uh, also from the other parties, the majorly comes from the uh, Israeli Beitanu, means that Israeli are home, and also maybe from the Hayahudi uh, 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 I'm sorry, from the uh, Jewish home party, uh, led by the led, led by uh, led by others, the right wing leaders, and they were also trying to challenge him. So, also, for example, the recently Ali Gabay, the new leader of the traditionally uh, the left wing, the Labour Party, will also try to challenge him. And Ali Gabay even described the next election in the next uh, year as a personal, I mean, the conversation between himself and uh, uh, Bibi. Of course, this is kind of exaggeration. We all know it. But the problem is that uh, Bibi will face a lot of pressure, not only from the justice investigation, but also from the other political uh, the challenges. So that will be the very, very difficult to predict who will win, who will form this kind of the next the new government next year. Mm-hmm. And last question, in general, how would you evaluate the performance of Netanyahu in the past few years? Because we know if Netanyahu is returned to office, he would be on course to become the longest serving leader of Israel. Uh, Netanyahu has his own kind of spe- uh, specific historical background. I mean, he has served uh, as, uh, as a prime minister uh, in the 1990s, and also he served as prime minister at the very beginning of the uh, and as the middle of the 2020s, uh, 2020s, uh, 2000s and to now. I mean, he survived a lot of the election, and he still kept his uh, leadership as a prime minister. Uh, he witnessed the history, and he also created the history. Uh, I think for the for the things right now, I think we cannot just say that Bibi is someone that pushed forward the kind of history. Yes, it's correct, but actually, he's the consequences of Israeli society because Israeli society right now is still on their way of the right wing, for instance. Uh, everyone is concerned about security environment. Everyone is concerned about the attacks from uh, and the rockets and the missiles from the Hezbollah in Lebanon. Everyone is concentrating on the latest development in Syria. Everyone is concentrating on what is happening in Gaza, uh, led by Hamas, and also the protests in the West Bank, led by Fatah. So everyone in every Israeli citizen is care about this kind of dangers. We cannot underestimate this kind of danger. So for them. For most Israelis, their first priority concern is security. So that is why Bibi can always win. He's called as uh, Mr. Security, and he can offer this kind of science of uh, security to his uh, supporters. That is why he can always win. He organized the government successfully to combine the different factions and the blocs inside the Israeli uh, Knesset. Uh, so this is a very, very difficult task. So I think he's he is a very smart politician, and he's trying to combine this country together. And uh, maybe after him, we, we, we I mean, uh, if the new leader came, maybe a very more uh, right-wing, more stronger uh, politician. But this is very difficult to predict the future of the Middle East peace. So I think Netanyahu is a very good man, he's the right man at the mm-hmm. right time, although he may become somebody cool. Thank you very much, Dr. Wang. As always, we've been talking with Dr. Wang Jin, Research Fellow of the Syria Research Center of Northwest University in Xi'an. Coming up, China is calling on the United States to explain why its embassies purchase spying devices. You're listening to Today. I'm Sui. Stay tuned.
I am Alka Acharya. I teach at the Jawaharlal Nehru University in India. Today has uh, organized its programs and uh, it stresses on uh, bringing in a lot of views uh, from all over. It is an extremely good platform for uh, information and analysis and I wish it all success in the future. You've been listening to today. China is calling on the United States to explain to the world what its embassies purchased spying devices for. The call comes as WikiLeaks reviewed documents showing the U.S. embassies and its other diplomatic posts around the world have been purchasing spy cams masked as ordinary gadgets. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Hua Chunying. People still remember freshly the disclosure of the PRISM surveillance program five years ago, under which the United States conducted global surveillance even on its allies. Five years have passed, but the United States still owns an explanation to people around the world. This time, WikiLeaks has disclosed the new information, and the United States should also make a clear explanation to the international community. Hua Chunying also calls on the U.S. to stop accusing China of disrupting cybersecurity. Now join us now in the studio is our senior political analyst Xu Qinduo. So Qinduo, the Chinese Foreign Ministry says this is like an open secret. How much this is a common practice when it comes to U.S. overseas diplomatic missions? Well, yes, it's an open secret. You know, uh, since 2013. In the wake of the Snowden revelation, it's not a secret anymore.、Uh, everybody knows that、uh, how pervasive the U.S. practice is. Basically, not only tapping the phones of the U.S. citizens, but also、uh, people around the world. As long as you are using electronic uh, uh, devices, uh, including those national leaders like uh, uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, right? As we know,、uh, so. Uh, the thing is, like uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of cases, not only against the European uh, allies, uh, uh, France, uh, Germany.、Uh, we don't know, like whether there are、uh, spying activities against the、uh, British people, Canadians, so-called Five Eye Alliance、uh, countries over there. But we do know, like the French delegate in the UN,、uh, they were spied by the United States.、Uh, that's according to the French press,、uh, in, in particular the newspaper Le Monde, for example. Like、uh, there are also like thousands、uh, and thousands of uh, uh, phone users in French also、uh, were listened to、uh, by the U.S.、Uh, intelligence agency, and also you know when it comes to China, for example, like Huawei. Now we talk a lot about Huawei. You know,、uh, a lot of allegations against Huawei, despite there's zero evidence, zero solid evidence,、uh, like Huawei has done anything wrong.、Uh, there are a lot of allegations from U.S. in particular. But look at what the U.S. has been doing or has done to Huawei.、Uh, that's also、uh, from the Snowden Revolution. That is the headquarters of Huawei in Shenzhen in southern China. That was broken in、uh, by the U.S. intelligence uh, uh, agents. Uh, that's obviously that's、uh, what do you call it today? You call it hacking or you call it、uh, cybersecurity issue, right? So that's what we know. And what we know, like、uh, there's little change. The probably the U.S. has been doing this. And continue to do this、uh, because you know, in terms of this、uh, electronic espionage, the U.S. basically is number one.、Uh, you know,、uh, so I, I believe this is still the case until, of course, we are sure today because of the latest WikiLeaks. So you mentioned German Chancellor Angela Merkel and also a French diplomat in the UN. How do U.S. allies see all this? I mean, being spied on. Well,、um, interestingly, you know, if you look at the reactions after Snowden Revolution,、uh, the Prism、uh, Gate, the scandal over there,、um, you know, many people would think there will be some、uh, fight back, some、uh, you know charges, some allegations against the U.S. You know, of course, you know, for the U.S., that was basically a. A、uh, diplomatic crisis for the Obama administration at that time, and the government was forced to explain to their allies, like Germany,、uh, French governments, and other governments, like Brazilian governments and other governments over there.、Uh, their explanation basically is like you know all those reports are not accurate, but they never deny or never accept the allegations.、Uh, obviously, that's the reality.、Uh, but how you would wonder like how、uh, the 
could ever explain away such allegations, you know, such embarrassment. But anyway, for those countries, different countries have reacted differently. Like uh, Britain, basically, there's little discussion, public discussion about that. I guess particular, possibly because they are part of the, the Five Eye Network. Mm -hmm. So basically, they are also the uh, uh, the perpetrator instead of the victims, right? But the, for the French people, also, you know, dismissed it as uh, like, uh, oh well, uh, you know, this is what the U.S. has been doing. You know, we know this and. Uh, there's not surprising. Uh, for the Germany, at the very beginning, uh, the German press has documented, well documented all the details, you know, story after story. Uh, there's uproar at the very beginning, there's even a protest, but it's small in terms of scale, mostly from the parliamentary opposition parties. And the government had been tried to uh, curtail or control uh, the anger, control uh, this, uh, uh, you know, revolution uh, from becoming into a political crisis with the United States. But why they are reacting in such a cautious way? Mostly because, you know, those countries are not you to question whether they are really independent country or even a vassal state of the United States. Mm -hmm. They need protection from US-led NATO. So what can they do? Uh, there's not really much they can do. Of course, uh, after that, they you know, promised to their people, like, okay, we will um, probably strengthen or need to enhance our own espionage activities to protect our secrets. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you mentioned Five Eyes, which uh, has been mentioned a lot uh, in the Huawei story. Uh, I'm curious, do any of the members of the Five Eyes may think like being in this group could affect their relations with China, for example, New Zealand? Well, not before, probably. But right now, I would say, you know, uh, it's, it's related not only with espionage activities, but also with U.S. foreign policy. And so there's uh, some uh, retrospection, I would say. For example, you know, in general, it's easy for them to make the choice. On one hand, economically, they want to make a full use of this relationship with China to benefit their uh, trade and investment, to benefit their economic economy. Uh, so Australia is the same, uh, New Zealand, Canada, you know, UK, it's the same. But on the security issue, basically, uh, they have little choice. They will rely on their uh, traditional ally, the United States for security, you know, in, in terms of intelligence, in terms of the hardware security, like militarily. But the, the thing is, like uh, it, I said, like uh, it's also related to U.S. foreign policy. For example, the U.S. is withdrawing from uh, Syria, is withdrawing from uh, Afghanistan uh, in protest against those moves. Uh, U.S. Defense Secretary James uh, Mattis have resigned, and uh, the fundamental differences between James Mattis and President Trump is whether the U.S cherish their alliance mm -hmm. or allies, mm -hmm. uh, rather. Uh, so this is a problem, you know, after his uh, resignation letter, basically, you, you see the discussion in, uh, for example, in Australia, some uh, international relations experts are saying basically, wow, since from now on, uh, Australia has to rely on itself because US offers no or US does not like to offer protection for its allies. Mm -hmm. So you are on your own. Uh, economically, you're relying on China and security-wise, you're also relying on yourself, then there's, a, there's, there's I would say, a hard choice. Mm. Uh, you'd better probably not to follow the U.S. so blindly to implement the U.S. policy, you know, to the letter uh, at the uh, detriment, uh, uh, you know, uh, damage at the U.S. Chinese interests. Uh, uh, to say the least, there would be an economic loss probably, uh, not to mention probably other aspects. You could also uh, suffer uh, in the, the uh, outcome, I would say, consequence from the relationship with China. Mm. Thank you very much, Chindo, for your My time pleasure. this evening. We've been talking with our senior political analyst, Xu Chindo. Let's take a short break here, coming back for some lighter news stories we've been following. You're listening to today. Stay with us. As a guest speaker with today, I feel very much grateful for providing a chance for me to communicate to the world and China's progress and China's accomplishment and also China's rich cultural heritage and, of course, China's desire to integrate itself into the international community. I believe today opens the window as well as build a bridge between people in China and the world. Welcome back. Join me for the other news segment. It's Zhao Ying again. Okay. 
Thank you, Sui. An Argentina radio host accused of discrimination against women has been ordered to host feminist guests every week for five months as part of a deal with prosecutors. He must not interrupt his guests for ten minutes, nor can he criticize them after the finish. The radio host has used this program to attack feminists as feminazis and disgusting people. So he's going to avoid criminal prosecution by discussing gender issues on the show. Is that right? Yes, and actually, he was faced with criminal charges in the first place because of his sexist comments. And prosecutors collected eight pages of derogatory, insulting, offensive, degrading, and discriminatory statement he has made. But according to a prosecutor, he came to the inquiry with a repentant attitude and convinced the, the prosecutors of his desire to change his ways. So this has led the prosecutors to drop the. Criminal case in favor of this move of、uh, creative solution, and under the terms of the agreement,、um, the prosecutors will provide a list of gender specialists that is going to be on the show, and a special gender violence prosecutor will come up with the topics for discussion. So, what does that tell about the gender equality situation in Argentina? Well, actually, the deal comes against the backdrop of a larger debate about sexism, feminism, and women's rights in Argentina. Because back in August, the parliament rejected a bill which would have legalized abortion in the first fourteen weeks of pregnancy.、Uh, that Would could be an extension of the abortion right in the country, and that has aroused a heated debate in the country. And also earlier this month,、um, there's an actress who、um, who reported that in in 2009, when he was 16, he was raped by a well-known soap o-、uh, opera star, almost 30 years older. And this huge wave of reports of sexual violence has made some political leaders felt compelled to to take some active stance. And following this event, Argentina's parliament approved a New law requiring all officials to undertake gender equality training.、Mm, very creative solution.、Uh, let's move on to our next story. The Organization for Economic Cooperative and Development says in a new report that Japan should change its mandatory require,、uh, retirement age to encourage older people to continue working. The report says Japan is among a number of countries that have high employment rates for older workers. However, due to Japanese employment practices, these workers are often re- rehired as non-regular workers. They are often given low-paid jobs where the working conditions are poor and there is little job security. So it recommends that. Japan consider abolishing the mandatory retirement system and introduce wage systems that are based on a worker's performance and skills. So we've been talking about a retirement issue, like in France, in in Russia, and also in China. What makes it so urgent to make a change in Japan's retirement system? Well, actually, Japan has the highest old age dependency ratio in all OECD countries, which over with over one person aged sixty five and over for every two persons aged twenty to sixty four in twenty seventeen, and this is about to rise to almost eight for every ten in twenty fifty. So, if the work patterns remain unchanged in, in Japan, its labor force will fall by eight million by twenty thirty. However, it is believed that this could be re- reduced to a smaller fall to two point. Four million, if conditions are created to allow older people to continue contributing their skills to the economy. So, yeah, thank you very much. Unfortunately,、uh, that's all the time we have. We have to wrap up here. Thanks, Jiaying.、Uh, that's all the time we have for this edition of today. China cuts market access barriers nationwide. Dozens killed as gunmen storm a government building in Kabul. Also, Israel's political arena is now in uproar after snap elections being announced. To listen to this episode again, or catch up on previous episodes. Episodes. You can download our podcast, World News Analysis. The program engineer of this this episode is Zhou Shuping. I'm Sui. Thanks for listening.